We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Friday, January 10th. Whalen back with John McKechnie. John, it's been a lengthy layoff. Uh, a lot has built up, uh, much like Mount St. Helens um, in Washington <laughs> back in the, was that in the 80s? Uh, 80s or 70s? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, that's kind of what I feel like with all these college football takes, and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. Absolutely. 1980, it Welling. looks like. Oh, so we split the difference. Pretty good. Yep, yep. Um, a lot to get to. Of course, we'll do a kind of a mini recap of bowl season. You know, we're not going to spend 15 minutes breaking down the Armed Forces Bowl or anything like that, but a lot of action uh, around the new year. You were traveling, you were traversing really the entire eastern seaboard That's true. Uh, for a number of weeks. You've only been back in the office for a couple of days, but uh, you spent time in in uh, Atlanta, you spent time in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how was that 
that trip that you took? Oh, it was great. You know, it, every year it's nice to, you know, because we work for a website, if you have an internet connection, you can, mm-hmm. you know, theoretically work from home. So, um, and it's cool that they let me do that, uh, you know, because home is far uh, from Wisconsin. So, like, it was good to get back. I got to go to the Ravens game, even though it was, like, pouring rain, and it was the Week 17 game where they had uh, – they pulled all the starters because they'd already clinched, but still like f- still fun to be there. Yeah, right. That is the ultimate like first world world problems. <laughs> um, but it was still a good time. Uh, got to see some family up in Pennsylvania and then uh, Georgia for New Year's and getting to watch uh, the Sugar Bowl with my buddies uh, from college. That was a great time. That was a we we've done that like three years in a row now. Um, a couple guys went to the Rose Bowl a few years back, but we've all watched the Sugar Bowl together the last two years. And last year's was such a buzzkill. So it was nice for Georgia to show up in in that one. And overall, I would say it was an A plus uh, little winter break that I that I got to have. And I am very like stoked to be back in Madison, though. It feels good. I would say in a lot of ways, Georgia and you know, kind of transitive property. You are responsible for Matt Rule fleeing his job and, and just running to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he Georgia gave him the out officially. Yeah. Once he took off his dental smock uh, in the middle of New Orleans, yep. uh, that, that fateful Wednesday night, I think that uh, the, the deal was sealed at that point. He said he's not going to wear the lead vest in the NFL, right? That was a college-only thing? Really? I believe somebody asked him that at his presser, and he said it's gone. That's disappointing. Which yeah, it's like, can you... I assume like that was a big part of the reason Carolina hired him, was they loved the look, and... I do wonder if they can pull the offer like if, he's if that's Im- actually the case. Impervious to x-rays, um, so that helps him be superhuman right. in his decision-making. Also very stylish, uh, probably bulletproof as well. Uh, so, so many things going for that tactical garment. And, you know, I was kind of hoping that that would be a, a springboard to other coaches around the NFL. You know, co- coaches love to borrow from college. Uh, they, they see the trends, they see the RPOs, and they try to steal them uh, and, and incorporate them at the NFL level. So, so like seeing Mike McCarthy in a, in a uh, tactical smock on the Dallas sideline, like that was something that I was looking forward to, those sort of things. So even though Rule, the, the true trendsetter, is is uh, no longer in the smock game, I, I hope it doesn't die with him. Yeah, we, we could talk a little bit more about Rule and the other kind of major coaching hire in college football this week. Mike Leach who was introduced this morning as a head coach at Mississippi State. I, I was telling you off air, I... Turned my TV to, to ESPN this morning and kind of groggily rubbed my eyes and saw Mike Leach like awkwardly waving a cowbell. Uh, yeah, yeah, the mechanics are off. So, yeah, the mechanics were way off. Uh, that that one to me came out of nowhere. I know you said there were some rumblings, you know, twelve to twenty four hours before, and then it all kind of came together really quickly. But uh, there's never been more of a conference coach mismatch, I think, than Mike Leach in the SEC. I think Coach O coaching USC was right up there. And, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I do wonder if maybe USC wishes they had just stuck with Coach O, but I, I think he's more uniquely suited for his current position. And, you know, not that Washington State was a dream job for Mike Leach by any means, but Mississippi State and Mike Leach are just such an odd match. It's it's a Leach job in the sense that it's uh, far from the traditional power within the given conference. Um, you know, you look at the, his previous stops, like Texas Tech, a, a sort of uh, bottom rung program in the Big Twelve before he gets there. So he he takes that on and he builds Texas Tech into a respectable program. Uh, Washington State traditionally, I know it's true in basketball, and what we'll see what ends up happening with Washington State. I don't really remember much about Washington State football pre-leech to be honest with you i I feel like the program just started when he got there i mean i I guess ryan leaf went there but 
Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that's long, long, long time ago. So uh, the the time between then and Leach arriving, uh, who knows what happened uh, to be determined. But basically, bottom line here, when it comes to Leach fitting in at, at Miss State, it, it's, it feels like they were obviously comfortable with letting him be him. Uh, I think that especially after letting Joe Moorhead go after bowl season, which you don't usually see, you, um, you know, I think once in recent memory, does a guy survive a regular season that's a little bit subpar and then the bowl game is so bad and maybe some other things going on as well um, to where that they get canned after the bowl game that happened with major Applewhite at Houston after they lost by like 70 points to army or whatever that was. <laughs> um, they obviously wanted a fresh start, and they, I mean, Leach is certainly that. And it's funny, like you were saying about the rumblings, Leach is always that guy that reporters will like kind of toss on at the end of their, I'm hearing this tweet. Um, it's like, oh, I'm, I, I hear that Alex Grinch is going to be a candidate. And don't forget about Mike Leach as a dark horse candidate. It's just like they like added it on. So, like, at the, at the, or, by the time that like Wednesday rolled around and I saw an Adam Rittenberg tweet that that said something to that effect, I just rolled my eyes. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like this, this is so classic. They always just throw his name in there for whatever reason, but it actually stuck. So I, I was surprised by that. I can see where Leach being in at Wazoo for as long as he was probably bored of it, probably ready for a new fresh start and a new challenge. So uh, this all sets up to be a really weird and exciting time uh, in the SEC because Leach is there. Has he ever gotten any NFL interest? I would imagine he has drawn interest as like a QB coach or maybe an offensive coordinator. And I don't know if that's ever come out or not. I don't know if he's NFL head coaching material in terms of what it takes to be kind of the face of a franchise. I don't know if there's a team that really wants that personality type for better or for worse. Um, but I mean, the, he's basically wherever he's gone has been able to have the same kind of success. He, he does it uniquely. Um, and in a way that hasn't necessarily translated to winning at the highest levels. But I mean, at this point, there's a, a pretty solid track record that whatever he's doing on offense works no matter what with undermanned personnel at basically every position compared to the big boys and whatever conference he's in. And you do wonder at some point if, if you would make that leap to the NFL, if the interest is there, I don't I mean, if the SEC is really like a tight ass, then then the NFL is yeah. like, you know, 10 times that in, in some ways. Although there are some some ways that you could argue that the SEC is even more so. But I mean, bottom line, I feel like he would not rub the NFL guys the right way to where like a, a team would feel comfortable taking no. him. So a, an OC position or like an offensive analyst, I think like maybe in the twilight of his career would be something, you know, because I think any NFL team would be remiss if they didn't want to pick his brain about how, you right. know, how how to take on some of those passing concepts, especially the longer that, that the NFL dives into more four wide sets and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, as far as like you said, very like, you know, very importantly, this, you're the CEO of, of a given NFL franchise, and I mm-hmm. don't think that the way the NFL works, uh, you have to just be such a butt kisser and such like a, a yes man, and, and more often than not. So um, there have been guys more deserving of NFL jobs than, than Leach that haven't gotten them. So I think this this might be the high water mark, at least for the foreseeable future uh, for him. So we'll, we'll see how things go in the SEC, but you know anything can happen. I would like to see a true, true air raid in the NFL at some point. You know, I think we we kind of mislabel some of these like current NFL offenses as more air raid. Um, but you know, like Jared Goff led the well, and Jameis Winston tied for the lead in attempts this year, passing attempts with thirty nine a game. 
and that is a lot for the NFL. But mm-hmm. I would like to see a team just go like fifty-five attempts per game. Yes. Like, why, Anthony Gordon had like a couple sixty-plus attempt games. This oh, year, at, didn't at he? Right? least, and, like, yeah, right. And that's a routine. Like I would like to see a team take it to that extreme. I don't know that it would work, mm-hmm. um, but it would it would really be fun because even what we call the air raid in the NFL doesn't compare to the college air raid. And, yeah, and it would be hilarious to see the defensive coordinator uh, responses and, and grumblings right. to to having to uh, preparing against that's a real pain. And you know, like, uh, what is this high school yeah, Mickey Mouse offense? Yeah, this is Mickey Mouse offense. That kind of hippy dippy <laughs> nonsense. Yep. Um, so I, to, to put a bow on this, I looked up the players to get drafted out of Washington State pre Leach, and I, I just picked out the ones that I recognized. Uh, Jeff Toole, you'll remember the quarterback. Chris Ivory went hey. to Washington State. I had no idea. Marcus Trufant. Yes. Steve Gleason. Uh, Ryan Leaf, like you mentioned, and Drew Bledsoe was also a Washington right. State Cougar. I think Bledsoe's kid might be there too, actually, as a really? walk on. I was not aware of that. But yeah, not uh, the richest history uh, from, from no. Pullman as far as turning out <laughs> NFL talent. It's crazy that Trufant went there. But, yeah. but I mean, that's still pretty cool. But uh, I, I worry about what, what happens next for Washington State because they're a program that, that needs a guy who's a great tactician because recruiting is you're really behind the eight ball there i'm I'm pretty much in the same vein as like you are in corvallis for if you're at oregon state all right so we made bowl picks against the spread Uh, unfortunately these are available on the website anybody can look at them Uh, i went 18 and 21 you went you went 23 and 16 this is a really strong showing by you uh ed kinzik a writer uh who, who pumps out college football content for us went 27 and 12 extremely impressive but I'd like to focus more on your picks uh, and give you a little chance to gloat here. Yeah, I mean, there have been years, and obviously with the college football attached to my job title, there have been some lean years where my picks are maybe 500, maybe a little bit below 500, uh, maybe blowing the the best bet, that type of thing. So this was this was a year, especially after last year, I was pretty humbled by by my showing. Uh, I really wanted to make sure that I just didn't embarrass myself and. Uh, you know, so did a little bit more research and, and research and attacked the slate in a in a different way. And I, you know, every single year that I that I do this, I feel like I, I pick up more knowledge on these teams. So, luckily, it all panned out. It all turned into that twenty three and sixteen. So that being that high above five hundred was very, uh, I wouldn't say like shocking, but it, it was good and like reaffirming. Uh, there are some games, especially early on, I can usually get a sense of how bowl season is going to go for me. Um, in something like the SMU game early on, where I think that was one of the games that was close to consensus for, you know, I think we had like 12 staff writers uh, mm-hmm. doing these picks. SMU got beat pretty handily by a Lane Kiffinless FAU. And, you know, we talked about on the podcast, like, are these FAU guys going to show up? And then a bunch bunch of FAU star players uh, got suspended right before that game and the Owls just still spanked SMU so uh, shame on you Sonny Dykes that's like two years in a row of just getting housed in bowl games Uh, didn't appreciate that but luckily uh, we bounced back uh, uh, other than that and then uh, Oklahoma State uh, they're their backdoor cover over Texas A&M uh, was something that I did not appreciate. I thought A&M was going to roll them. They had that. They were up by like 14 or something or 13, and then Oklahoma State scores towards the very end there to get that cover. Uh, Miss State, obviously, like we were just talking about, don't see a performance get get so bad to where a coach gets fired. Again, there were some things precipitating that, but uh, Louisville, 
the second that they went up by like three points in that game, it felt insurmountable, which is a which is an insane <laughs> sentence. Like they, they they went up and then they forced a, a Tommy Stevens fumble and ran it back to the house. Like I think that next possession and it was it was over in a hurry after that. Got to watch that on an airplane. I was like like yeah, get, I think getting you, you mad sent me in a, public. A text about that. Like what what kind of luxury airline were you flying? Just Delta. I mean, not, football nothing airways. crazy, but yeah, I mean, it was, that was awesome being, being able to watch live TV and it got to catch like the beginning of the orange bowl on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, crazy bad performance from Miss state, uh, big head scratcher. I don't know what you thought about this one, but Utah just, it, they don't feel like a, a team that usually no shows <sighs> things and Texas yeah. doesn't feel like it. I mean, maybe this is, three years in a row now where they've had impressive bowl wins right so yeah. are they tryhards texas this was this was a strange one this one should have been like the cheese it bowl or the tony the tiger bowl i think like it the, the alamo bowl wasn't a a wild enough bowl for this and it wasn't a crazy game like you said even utah just completely laid down and you know i think if you had told me that this would be the result of this game in like week two of the season you'd say that makes sense but sure i mean texas is an eight and five team to end the year and and utah I, I guess you can make the case with utah that after they lost to oregon um you know they, they really didn't have much to play for you went from probably pretty certainly being the fourth team in the playoff to all of a sudden you're playing in the valero alamo bowl and you know the lack of motivation there is is something you could point to but like you said this isn't this isn't a program like alabama that's used to just being in the national championship game year in and year out and you could expect a letdown sure um yeah i i think Texas is a formidable opponent. We've seen them. I mean, they they gave LSU as good of a fight as anybody's given LSU all year, and you have to keep that in mind. But um, I don't think it's crazy that Texas won this game. I, I think it's crazy that they won it by four touchdowns. Yeah, that that's that's the crazy part that that Utah just didn't really get off the mat. Uh, so Texas seems to, the the path that you laid out for Utah there, where they were going into their conference championship game with the a very strong opportunity to be that fourth team in the playoff to not being in there same thing happened to georgia last year and then we saw what happened to georgia against texas last year so really texas is the common denominator there of just profiteering off of teams that don't feel like playing so so just so they can pad their bowl record and tom herman can be the guy that's still undefeated in bowl games i believe he's riding that alma bowl momentum into 2020 i I think we can chalk up the wisconsin loss too to the fact that they were disappointed that they didn't make the playoff so that's why they lost to to Oregon in the Rose Bowl (laughs) they they didn't try at all did you get to watch that one were you oh yeah you were in Atlanta for that right yeah and and Hill was with us so you know we had a good Badger fan in attendance and a bunch of good uh, Badger well-wishers down there as well so do you have anything do you speak for yourself here I really don't have like a rant or anything this was the fourth time that we've seen this exact episode of Badger football television um I wouldn't even say it was like a heartbreaking loss. All four Rose Bowls have been really close and at times have looked like Wisconsin was going to win. And I think I watched it with a big group of Wisconsin fans. And at no point did anyone get excited about Wisconsin's chances to win this game. Even I didn't look at you know ESPN win probability or anything. But at times in the second half, it was probably pretty heavily in favor of Wisconsin before... Danny Davis went rogue and fumbled and committed a couple bad penalties and oh, dropped yeah. the pass. Um, but you know, not not entirely his fault by any means. Jonathan Taylor had another big fumble in this game. He's had a couple key fumbles in in games that they've lost this mm-hmm. season. That's kind of been a common denominator. But but Oregon did a good job against him. I mean, he had no run longer than 18 yards, 21 for 94, no touchdowns. Didn't really get going too much in the passing game. I think he had one long uh, swing pass out of the backfield, but that was really it. So. I think Quintez Cephas showed really well for Wisconsin. That was kind of 
if you want to look positively or kind of look at individuals who stood out, he was kind of the one guy on the offensive end who I think if you didn't watch a lot of Wisconsin this year and you tuned in, um, you know, he looked like an NFL receiver out there. And, and after that game, it wasn't too surprising that this past week now he's declared for the NFL draft. Um, <clears throat> but it was just, you know, it was just another Wisconsin, you know, postseason game, whether it's football or basketball. Um, they just kind of seem to have this this glass ceiling that at this point I don't know if they're ever going to break through. Did you have gritty white guy jealousy or envy over that Brady Breeze guy on Oregon who's just making plays all over the field and looking like a stallion <clears throat> doing it? He had 11 tackles. He had nine solo tackles. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of when we played TCU in like 20 I think that was the first Rose Bowl so it would have been like 2011 yeah the Andy Dalton team and they had Tank Carter Mm -hmm. just going nuts against that Wisconsin offense and yeah uh, I mean not again not surprising nothing nothing that happens with this program is ever surprising Um, but at least with this one like Oregon probably is a better team you know I mean in terms of talent in terms of that offensive line the quarterback play they are the better team Um, so you can never be too disappointed but to go to four Rose Bowls in a decade and lose all four, I believe by one score, um, yep. or at least, you know, at the very least be very much in every single game well into the fourth quarter and lose all four of them twice to Oregon. Uh, really, really disappointing. And I, I, I mentioned earlier this season, it, it kind of felt like for a while, Wisconsin was on the cusp, not of becoming Ohio state or Michigan or anything like that, but of at least having that expectation that, you know the the Rose Bowl or the Big Ten title game isn't enough you know in 2011 losing the Rose Bowl was awesome like I was more than happy with that result and then you do it four times and you get you get so close you know one game away it seems like every year from really being a playoff contender um and then you know the the way things go in the in the way she goes yeah it's like if we could just play in the champ sports bowl we'd be fine if the champ sports bowl is ever one of the playoff games wisconsin is going to be you know you can basically just pencil yeah we need to start angling for that so champ sports get your game up because yeah we (laughs) we need that but no it really like this wisconsin team up until that illinois game i mean remember how dominant that performance was against michigan like in september is like holy crap this is this is a level of wisconsin that we haven't seen and you know this is at least as good as the 2017 and it could be better because we have a a junior year jonathan taylor and uh not alex hornerbrook at Mm -hmm. quarterback so like things are setting up well but yeah disappointing end but still i mean wisconsin even after that rocky patch in the middle of the season, I still think that they are the team to beat in the West yeah. uh, overall. Um, so I think there's a lot to still be happy about. I don't know what that what that running back situation, like who that next great Wisconsin running back is going to be, but yeah. we didn't really know who Jonathan Taylor was, you know, this time a few years back. Exactly. So uh, I mean, <laughs> I think we thought that like Bradrick Shaw was going to be the, the dude yes. the year that, that Jonathan Taylor ended up taking over. So yeah, there, there will be some surprises in store, I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised. They just got Jalen Berger, uh, a high four star out of New Jersey. They they've weirdly just been mining the New Jersey New Jersey pipeline. New Jersey weirdly really weirdly is very talented or turns yeah. out really good talent. That's where Noshan's from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where Ron Dane's from. That's where Taylor's from. Um, Saquon. Several more. That Saquon, who was committed years. to Rutgers at one point. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? He would have been, <laughs> <laughs> he would have been the god of Rutgers. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't, I don't know a ton about Jalen Berger. We could, we could bring Zine on to, to talk about him if we really wanted. But I wouldn't be surprised if he just does what Taylor did. And, you know, three games into the year, he just runs away with a starting job. And that's the next three years of Badger football. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it's gone. That'd be sweet. You know, for a while, they had two or three really good backs. And it was just kind of a rotation where John Clay handed off to Monty Ball, who handed off to James White, who handed off to Melvin Gordon. Mm-hmm. And um, But obviously, it's, it's been a little bit more you know one-dimensional these last couple of years with Taylor. Yeah. So hopefully that this new guy, the burger 
can uh, can get it going. You want to talk a little bit about the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I mean, the the first one, uh, so obviously chronologically, uh, LSU played first. Mm-hmm. It was like disorienting to watch. Yes. I, I felt like you know someone had slipped something into my drink or something like it, and it was kicking in. <laughs> to be fair, that might have happened as well. I mean, I'll, yeah, just at my house. <laughs> Cat. but, <laughs> my cats are are very uh, nefarious, but. Um, yeah, I mean Joe Burrow dropping seven touchdowns in the first half of a, of a real life FBS football game. Not just that uh, against a real live Power Five team, and not just that a team that was ranked the fourth best team in the country. Mm-hmm. And that a dismantling saying that it was a dismantling is is understating it. I mean, I've that was so over from like basically like the first or second drive, and Oklahoma did what they could. Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, showed that he you know he's. He's got some tools to work with, but definitely still very rough around some of the edges and things need to be going right for him to really be clicking, I think. And, and, uh, you know, when LSU started to get him off his spot and rush him and get that get the pressure off the edge, uh, that was that was going to be it because LSU was always going to be able to score in this game. And I think you and I established that the question was whether um, Oklahoma could keep up. And the answer was absolutely not. It was a definitive no. I mean, the no. It, it LSU punted on its second drive of the game, which it seems like it didn't happen. I, yeah, I, I don't mean, this believe was that. A, this was a seven-seven game at one point. I mean, it, after after that punt for LSU, it went touchdown, 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 <laughs> touchdown. End of end of the half. Touchdown, missed field goal, touchdown. End of the game. Okay, that's going in the intro for the for next year's yeah, pod. <laughs> me on repeat saying touchdown. Yeah, that was. I mean, it it really was like watching you know me play ncaa football 2008 against the computer on like walk-on level mm-hmm. some of those i mean you don't want to take anything away from like jefferson or, or terrace marshall or, or chase or anything but wide open and this this seems to happen like once or twice a year to oklahoma um whether it's against a really good opponent like lsu or just some random big 12 team or they they just get completely gashed and you like you, i watch a lot of nfl so do you you don't see the type of wide open receivers and wide open passes that Joe Burrow was hitting and again nothing not to take anything away from him I mean the way that they're able to scheme these guys open is incredible and Burrow was on target basically every single throw Mm -hmm. as usual um but Oklahoma the bigger story I think was maybe not even LSU's defense but Oklahoma just looked off the entire game and I really love Jalen Hurts I I don't want to say I would have liked to see LSU lose because they're such a fun team and I kind of want to see them finish this out it's been such a cool run but it really sucked to see Jalen Hurts go out like this because I, I think a lot of people were rooting for him just as a, as an individual based yeah. on how his career Incredible in Alabama story. ended. Yeah, just a, he just seems like a cool guy, and there's no better way to put it. And for him to to go out completing less than fifty percent of his passes, no touchdowns, threw a pick, really didn't get going on the ground much at all. He had two rushing touchdowns, but just forty three yards, no long runs. Um, yeah, I mean it. I do I, I do wonder too. Like, do you think this is hurting Lincoln Riley's appeal? at all and maybe not even as an nfl coach but just his reputation as a college coach where i mean it's year after year kind of the same thing for oklahoma and and this time they struggled more severely on offense than they have in the past but it's pretty clear that defensively they're still a a pretty major step behind you know the real alabama or alabama lsu ohio state clemson type of teams yeah so i mean that this makes him zero and three against sec opponents in bowl game or in in playoffs uh situations and obviously he's gone up against good it's not like he's play he's losing to your missed states or anything like that in the in these contexts uh losing to bama georgia and lsu but yeah i mean i think it does go to make you at least wonder if you know 
maybe he's not the infallible guy that's going to bring them over the edge there. And I know he's been recruiting really well, especially right. by Big 12 standards, but the key is always to be able to get the big guys up front, and it feels like that is still lacking. I know they have uh, that guy Neville Gallimore, uh, probably sure. probably the best Canadian in college football other than Chuba, uh, but Nathan Rourke has his case too. But uh, he's like a big 300-pound guy, but they, they don't seem to be like cycling these guys in the way that like the SEC schools do. And I mean, you can say that about a bunch of different conferences and, and what like is the thing that's holding them back. But uh, until Oklahoma really firms up its trenches on, on the defensive side, the, the offensive line is always turning out uh, pros, but yeah. they need that and they need to get a little bit stronger in the back end as well. So yeah, that I don't know what more it's going to take. They, they already kind of hired like the guy, that guy, Alex Grinch, who was uh, Mike Leach's uh, defensive coordinator a few years back when they had a really good defense and then Ohio State's defensive coordinator not too long ago either um, I think he might have been Urban's last defensive coordinator or one of them uh, so he should be the guy so maybe it's just a matter of of time here and and you know in the next year or two when he gets his guys in and gets his scheme fully fully uh, gelled but until then you can just always look at Oklahoma and be like well, they, they'll probably score points, and they will probably not get stops when it matters. Mm-hmm. All right, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, of course, was the night game in the college football playoff. This was an awesome game to watch as an impartial observer. Oh, yeah. After, you know, Wisconsin got spanked by Ohio State once again in the Big Ten championship game. Um, I, I don't really root against Ohio State. They have so many cool guys that it's really hard to, like, hate J.K. Dobbins. Like, I, 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 really, I really didn't care who won this game at all, so it was, it was really fun to watch that ending. I thought for sure Ohio State was scoring. They had a second and seven at the Clemson 23, mm-hmm. I believe it was, and that's where the interception came. The. Um, you know, one that Olave basically just said he went the wrong way, right? Yeah. He, he, thought, he thought Fields was taking off, and he was going to kind of scramble and try to get open, and just a complete mix-up. And you could tell right away. I mean, that was one of those picks where, you know, the receiver's like not even in the frame when the ball is caught by the defender. Um, but a, a pretty difficult way for Ohio State to go out. I, I didn't love that a lot of the takeaways were referee focused. Um, sure, I I kind of thought that was the right call on the on the fumble that was called back, um, based on how that's been called even at the NFL level, or maybe more than college. Like when you really really slow, <coughs> excuse me, when you really really slow it down, yeah, it looked like he had possession. But the more I watched it in real time, the more I was convinced that that he didn't hold on to it. Okay, I, my initial take was that he did make a football move. Uh, I think, but. You also bring up the good point where when you slow things down to that, you know, frame by frame level, almost yeah. anything can, can look that way. Or, or, you know, when you slow things down for targeting, you know, it can look yes. particularly egregious. So I, I thought that, you know, one of the turning points in the game also had to do with, with refereeing again with that targeting call on Trevor Lawrence, where it felt a little there was some helmet to helmet contact. I didn't feel like he was intentionally making forcible uh, contact there to the head or neck area it's just you know Lawrence started to go into defense mode and right. you know, lowers that that hit zone a little bit um but to me as like just like a college football fan it felt like he hit Trevor Lawrence too hard and you're gonna get flagged for it but like as like a as you know taking the fan hat off you know I I can't completely fault the the yeah. refs for for blowing that but at the same time you know it, it it sucks that that call factored so heavily into that yep. game because it did end up you know with that guy having to leave the game yeah that's the thing i mean it's not only a huge yardage penalty you know oftentimes it's you know you're a very good player becomes ineligible and i tend to feel the same way as you do where 
when you watch football for like 20 years and those hits are just a part of the game and you don't think anything of it for them to all of a sudden become flags and game changing flags is really tough but it was going to be fourth down too yeah, right right so. exactly it always seems like it's that way it's, it's it's never just like a meaningless you know second down and 10 from the 15 year you know it's always like a, a big spot it seems and at the same time though if you're really going to enforce this rule and you know really kind of drill it into players heads you kind of have to keep making those calls you know and if it's 50 50 maybe give the benefit of the doubt to the player who's being hit you know if if you're really trying to eliminate this from the game so it's it's easy to see both sides i guess um but it's i mean those those plays seem to kind of continually be be changing games yeah that's super unfortunate um and then obviously one way to where i'll say that like ohio state blew it was that they got to the red zone so much or they got into scoring range and settled for field goals way too often. And even with the way that their defense was dominating in that game, it's like you got to get six at least one of these times here. So for you to keep kicking those field goals to keep having those drives uh stall out and you know we'll get to this soon with you know maybe it's a testament to clemson's red zone defense and we'll see how that plays up against lsu but i mean it's not like ohio state's offense is is you know like all that much worse than than lsu's or or like several leagues below uh ohio state i think was top five s&p plus in 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 offense uh so that was really killer for them. And I think that if you, you know, gave truth serum to an Ohio State fan and you asked, you know, really, why'd you guys lose? I think that they, they would probably at least admit that uh, those red zone failings were yeah. a big part of it. Yeah, a couple bad drops by J.K. Dobbins, one of them on a screen pass that I mean, you could see Ryan Day's reaction on the sideline. <laughs> like he, he and everyone in the, in the stadium knew that that was a walk-in touchdown yes. basically from 25 yards out if he catches that. Um, and that, that was one, I mean, being outscored 20, 21 to six over the second and third quarters, like you said, I mean, Ohio State basically just punted the entire third quarter, um, and then you know ended it on a pick in the fourth. It was, yeah, it was. It, it's still kind of taking me time to get used to Clemson being this kind of team, you know, because for so much of our lives they were just another random ACC team, and now, I mean, this this felt like a Bama game to me, where they fell about, you know, they fall behind sixteen nothing, and yeah. you're like, wow, man, Ohio State, they're they're just so good. Clemson can't can't compete with this. And then they come roaring back. Like Alabama, it felt like has had so many wins like that over the years. And it, it really does feel like, you know, Alabama's not going anywhere, but Clemson has really kind of taken the mantle as that team for the last, I guess, two or three years now. Yeah, that, that is such an excellent point. Like it, there are those times where a team, ooh, you know, they're looking sparky against the, the, the tide. And then the second that that flame goes out for even a second, yep. that's when Alabama just puts the, the pincers on and, and just starts to crush. And, and like you were saying there, to hold Ohio State to that many punts and that few points over that long of a stretch, mm-hmm. that that kind of stranglehold on on a good team is just, I mean, that's impeccable work. And, and you know, by the virtue of like the third and fourth quarter being so lifeless from that Ohio State offense, I think that probably has less to do with them turtling in on themselves and more to do with like Brett Venables maybe just being uh, the Skeletor genius that, that many think he is. Yeah, it didn't feel to me like Ohio State blew this game. I think Clemson took it. Um, you know, there are some errors that we that we've talked about. You know, the interception and the drops were were big, but I don't I don't think if you're Ohio State, you're like, man, we blew that. And then maybe it's easy to say that when it was a sixteen nothing game, but I, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and and Clemson, I thought just grabbed it from them. All right, so let's look at the national championship game. Uh, this comes to us on Monday after a very long layoff. LSU six point favorites over under sixty nine and a half. Nice. That's a lot of points. Um, LSU minus six against this Clemson team does feel like a lot, but 
the the argument against that is it's really tough to make because of the way that LSU has just mowed through everybody mm-hmm. and you know teams that are close in caliber to Clemson um, at least in terms of the ranking you know Alabama at the time um, Oklahoma you know a couple weeks ago obviously Clemson is is probably the best of those teams but I think when you when you factor in how well LSU's played the fact that they have really not faced any difficulty you know at maybe at times in that Alabama game maybe back in week three or whatever it was against Texas um, but they have just been on cruise control for so long now and, and Clemson has too to some degree but I think maybe the the biggest determining factor is in some ways this is a home game for LSU it's at the Superdome it's not Baton Rouge but it's what 45 minutes away yeah, about or so. an hour or so and you know I mean the way that they distribute tickets it's not like it's going to be 90-10 LSU I mean in theory it could be 50-50 um, but I would imagine that the secondary market is going to be dominated by LSU, uh, one for proximity and two Clemson's been in this game so many times recently that, you know, a lot of people, this, this was kind of the story when Wisconsin went to three straight Rose Bowls. It was like, everybody went to the first one. Some people went to the second one and very few people went to the third one. You know, oh. it's it, a lot of, a lot of Clemson legacy fans probably aren't going to their third straight national cha- national championship game. Whereas LSU hasn't been there in a while. If you're interested in going, you're going to get your hands on that ticket. That's yeah. just that's just my read on this. No, that's de- that's definitely a really good point. And, and Clemson, like, I think they will have done well for themselves in terms of representation if if this ends up looking like sixty five thirty five LSU in in the crowd. Like if if yeah. it if it turns to like seventy thirty or something, then then yeah, like you said, it, it you know maybe just a little bit tired of making the national championship. Clemson, geez, but um, I don't know if you're a Clemson person. And you have the means, you should go to New Orleans for the championship game. I think like you should. I, although I guess it would be kind of like there's a little bit of an intimidation factor if you're a Clemson guy. It's like, man, I'm going to go into somewhere where like I am grossly outnumbered by oh, crazy yeah. people. Yeah, so, right. Not, so, not just being outnumbered, outnumbered by LSU fans in New Orleans. In, yeah, like the, they know all the underground, uh, you know, sewer system to to find you and and everything in in between. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah, you are you are very much out of your element uh, if you're a Clemson guy going going on to uh you know new orleans uh, onto the bayou mm-hmm. um i'm looking at some of the props right now um trevor lawrence over under 294 and a half passing yards joe burrow over under 365 and a half that, 365 I, I don't have a good read on the on the lawrence one that that would be a stay away for me 365 seems really high right i feel like it, that's insanely high that's super high they that there really can't be props that high. As this in comes to us via the DraftKings Sportsbook. My goodness. So that, that's really high. That's just begging people to take the under probably, right? And then and then maybe the over ends up hitting. The what? over and the under are both minus 110. Okay. So, no, in theory. I I don't know. When's I mean, the last it's, time Burrow threw for less than that? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to look up now. I mean, it... It's it's not an absurd total, I guess, based on the last game. It just feels like they're overreacting to the Oklahoma defense versus the Clemson defense, and I think you have to take into account the amount of time to prepare and the experience that Clemson has. Like, it's certainly not, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he goes for 400 yards and five touchdowns, and this is a you know both teams over 40 type of game, but. I just I just don't see that being the case. I feel pretty good about that. 365 you said? 365 and a half. Okay, it looks like he had 5 such games over that this year. And who were they who were they against? Um so starting things off Texas, uh Northwestern State, so that that okay. barely counts. Vander- yeah, they were they were good this year. <laughs> uh Vandy, uh let's see, uh Alabama, Ole Miss, and Oklahoma. Huh. 
so yeah, uh, not not Clemson, right? Uh, no, I I don't think that he'll he'll reach that mark against Clemson. He's going to be throwing it a ton, yeah. and, and I think also there there's a very very strong chance that like Clemson just takes the run out of LSU's offense like right right away, or you know LSU maybe just sees it as not really working with Edwards Hilaire against that front seven and just says, you know, F it, we're just going to, we'll let Burrow do his thing. So if, if Burrow ends up throwing it upwards of 40, 45 times, uh, then, you know, I think that 365 becomes, it, you know, comes into play. So um, just like the sports book says, you can make the case for either. And I think it's pretty solid. Um, there are props for total TD passes. Trevor Lawrence over under two and a half. Burrow over under three and a half. These both seem a little more reasonable. Yeah, the yeah the, the that three sixty five is going to like mess me up for the rest of the <laughs> yeah, podcast. I'm sorry, sorry to just spring like, that. Holy on you. smokes! What do you think about Trevor Lawrence over under fifty four and a half rushing yards? I think this is maybe the the equivalent of the Burrow number after he rushed for I think well over a hundred, like one hundred seven. Yeah, I that's think, in, that's, in some cat, that's some cat. That's some cat. I think that I I'll take the under on that one. I think LSU is going to try to bottle him yeah. up and make him you know just try to make sure that he's 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 just throwing it against them because he is pretty nasty as a, as a rusher as we I mean to run away from Ohio State's <laughs> defense like 67 right. it was goofy looking but really also was. like kind of majestic at yeah. the same time I I can't I can't picture that happening again like Trevor Lawrence streaking down the sideline no, like blowing Sting- by Stingley's, Stingley's just gonna like eat him <laughs> yeah exactly um Clyde Edwards Hilaire is uh minus 500 to score a touchdown as is Travis Etienne um I feel, feel pretty good about both those guys getting in the end zone um all basically all the receivers are between like plus 100 and, and minus 250 for guys like jefferson chase and higgins mm-hmm. um pretty tough to get a read i think on those but how do you feel about that that total of 69 and a half i i think i like the over yeah i'm pretty sure i like the over i i think that just the these offenses are, are so ridiculous i mean i would be more worried about Clemson not being able to score on LSU but at the same time I, I think that uh I don't know Clemson will be able to score on LSU like it, LSU's defense good not great it's like around 20th in, in the defensive S&P around 10th in the in the rotowire uh metric of defensive efficiency uh the the very proprietary that's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for uh, rotowire uh, metric there but I, I think that I have a hard time seeing Clemson scoring less than thirty one points so I guess on top of that you see uh, LSU have to score a little bit closer to closer to forty but well I mean if you're if you're implying a six point spread um you know i mean 31 37 gets you just under i i think it will be in that range i mean believe it or not vegas is, is kind of spot on with this number as usual <laughs> Dang it. um i i don't think this will be wasn't uh alabama clemson a couple years ago like 45 40 uh, yeah. I, I don't i don't see it getting that high but i i think somewhere i think you're on the right track somewhere in that you know 34 28 31 38 type of game um where, where both teams are, are kind of able to move the ball but it doesn't feel like you're just watching a track meet the entire time. Sure. And and I think Clemson's defense versus LSU's offense is going to be the key to this game here because, I mean, Clemson, uh, its defensive S&P is, is number three. It's number one in the rotowire metric. They are, like, number one in the nation as far as uh, yards allowed, passing yards allowed per game, just 151, eighth in completion percentage allowed. I think it's, like, barely over 50. And mm-hmm. then first in yards per attempt uh, at 5.5. So, them versus 
uh, Burrow is going to be just incredible. I mean, like I'm so excited to to see how that plays out. And yeah. generally, I think in this day and age, you defer to the offense. And I, I think in this stage, mm-hmm. uh, with the players around Joe Burrow, I I, I know that he's going to have more success than what those season averages yep. have been, obviously. But you know what happens if Burrow is closer to like. I don't know, like three touchdowns and, and 300 yards in this one, you know, uh, is that enough of a tick down from what LSU needs uh, to to where Clemson is able to keep it really close or even mm-hmm. get the win? Yeah, I, I think this game could end up playing out a lot like the Deshaun Watson game, the the Watson to Renfro 35-31, where it's just, just a really good game back and forth, and it, it just kind of comes down to who has the ball last. I mean, this is... Those Alabama Clemson games were obviously pretty evenly matched. I guess last year maybe the exception, but you felt you felt like it was evenly matched going in. And I, I think this on paper, you know, maybe it doesn't have the fanfare of a you know th- three times in four years meeting uh, with with Alabama and Clemson. But I think this is, and I hope it's not recency bias. I think this is the best matchup on paper that we've had. Yes, I believe I believe so too. I think that like the 2016 game, the the, the Watson Renfro game, yeah. That was like a, a basically like a coming of age for Clemson. I know they made the playoffs bef- the year before and you know pushed Bama a decent bit in that in that previous one, but that was that was totally different from what we saw last year. This is a different breed of Clemson, yeah. Uh, now and and I think last year, uh, if you didn't know already, uh, that should have clued you in. Well, yeah, I mean it's a team that beat undefeated Alabama by twenty eight points in the final last Just year and brings them. back virtually all of its offensive talent and a. Mm-hmm. a a decent chunk of of what was an awesome defense and its quarterback you know which is i think if trevor, if trevor lawrence was draft eligible i mean lawrence versus burrow would be a, a huge debate right now um so it's that team against what i would argue even though we're, we're closing out the decade one of the most memorable teams individually of the last 10 years probably in the top three this yeah. lsu team right I, I don't think and again i hope it's not recency bias but i, I think this run that burrow is on is right up there with like cam newton yes yeah the, like you will always remember like the stuff that burrow was doing for for this year and yeah. uh you know you and i have talked about this before like you know uh, off mic but like the, this is an all-time heater for joe burrow yeah. the, the kind that like when you think of the 2019 season you will and you always think of the heisman trophy winner from a given year but right. like you said cam like you think 2010 you think cam newton immediately like yeah. it's that level of just sheer dominance where it's like man mm-hmm. nobody can stop this guy exactly. nobody yeah and i don't know if you want to use cam newton as precedent but that's that's why i'm rolling with lsu in this game and i, I don't feel great about it nothing would really surprise me but the the argument i've heard this on a couple other podcasts too is like you know, really, really smart people who study this a lot more than I do are like, what it comes down to is I just can't imagine LSU losing. Like I can't picture Jim Nance up on the podium with all the confetti falling and Joe Burrow not being there holding the trophy, right? Like, and you know, we've seen, we've seen that scene with Clemson and Trevor Lawrence before, so it's not hard to picture that, but it would, it would just be crazy for LSU to lose based on how this whole thing has gone. And that's like objectively terrible analysis, but that's what it comes down to for me is like, this is such a heater, like you said, that it just would seem so wrong for LSU to not close it out with a win. So read an interesting article today. It's up on ESPN. One of their uh, big gambling experts, David Payne Purdom, uh, he was interviewing a bunch of like sports book guys. Um, and I, there was one quote, I tweeted it out that is pretty fascinating from that. He was talking to one of like the, the risk uh, like analyzers fr- from Caesar's Palace, and he was like, "I haven't seen this one-sided of action on a championship game since the Seahawks Broncos game, and the, all the money, public money, was on the Broncos in that one." And that was like, wasn't it like forty-three to eight? Yeah, yeah. 
If yeah, I don't even uh, remember if right, I'm switching my pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it goes to show that like there is, and rightfully so. There's there's a ton of reason to to believe that LSU wins this one, and I do think that they will. I just I love Clemson to cover this one, and I will not be surprised if they end up winning. Like Clemson is so serious, that defense is so good. If it jams up the gears a little bit for for that LSU offense. Um, it's going to be tough. We, we saw what happened if you don't execute in the red zone. Uh, the one uh, against Clemson, like I was saying, uh, with that Ohio State example. And then uh, I think his name is Brody Miller. The LSU um, writer from The Athletic was also bringing up the, the point where um, when LSU doesn't the only, or the only game where that happened really was against Auburn, and that's why they outgained Auburn by like hundreds and hundreds of yards. But they only won that Auburn game by by three because they they were being kept uh, two field goals instead of touchdowns. So mm-hmm. I think that Clemson is a good bet to be able to do that. Not every single time, but I think enough to where um, you know this this isn't the peak LSU offense that we saw. I mean, it couldldn't have been a better setup for them against Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. This is a, a totally different beast, different than what LSU has seen to at any point in this season. And that includes going against the likes of Auburn at home, uh, Alabama on the road, uh, Georgia in the SEC title game. Like those are all, you know, yeah. top five, top 10 defenses that they've destroyed. Clemson is, it's going to yeah. be really tough. I think that that is the story of this game, uh, how Burrow is able to to play against them. And again, uh, you can totally see that the heater continuing. Uh, maybe it's an uncomfortable win like Cam Newton had in the, in the uh, Oregon National Championship game, but a win is mm-hmm. a win nonetheless. Um, so it's all on the table. I just I think that Clemson loses by a field goal. Yeah, I would be shocked if this is not a good game. I, I don't yes. think I don't think we're going to get Alabama Clemson last year, where it looks like a good game for half of the first quarter, and then it was just all Clemson the rest of the way. I, Neither I don't team see can that get blown out. I no, don't think. no, no. I, I think especially, I, I think LSU's favored rightfully, and I think as an underdog, you don't really worry about Clemson falling behind and and then just kind of letting the game get away from yeah, them. The I numbers mean, that would happen last crazy. week. If that was the case. Yeah, like they haven't gone down by like more than seven in years. I don't think before the Ohio State game right yeah yeah right and I I mean to be able to claw back against that team which I I think we can argue now that LSU is probably better than Ohio State but pretty close you know Mm -hmm. and to be able to to work back into that game I I think they've proven capable one final uh prop from this game uh coin toss heads or tails both minus 106 uh give me tails man I'm always a tails guy too Um, gotta be what game one of the games this past week the nfl game somebody called heads in overtime i, I mean it must have been um minnesota i guess and i think did new orleans get the ball first in that game not totally sure okay well either way you'd never call heads is no, the point i'm trying to make is, all yeah. the tails never fails for Absolutely a reason not. um there's also heisman trophy 2020 futures up already um we got? we got justin fields as the favorite i think rightfully so plus 300 trevor lawrence plus 400 spencer rattler plus 600 Derek King plus 900 Miles Brennan plus a thousand Mac Jones plus plus a thousand Bo Nix plus 1200 uh, Edwards Hilaire plus 2000 and then a slew of other names beyond 2000 Ellinger Jamie Newman KJ Costello Adrian Martinez come on Keaton Slovis well when um, Jamie Jalen Waddle when Jamie Newman leads the Georgia Bulldogs to the <laughs> national championship next year then I, I, I think I'm in on is that it. happening do you really think it's happening I'm I'm certain that he's going to Georgia I feel really, really strongly about that. Uh, Georgia's drop ad, so like for him to get enrolled for for the spring semester, 
I think ends today or something. So he, mm. he's got to be enrolled by Monday. So this has to happen quickly. But if it does, uh, Newman, I, I hate the offensive coordinator at Georgia, but I love Jamie Newman and maybe he can work around some of the, you know, some of the things that were failings in the Georgia offense uh, this past year. So love Jamie Newman. And then, you know, wouldn't it be crazy? I, I know that we had the Mac Jones uh, name thrown out there. Uh, Bryce Young is this kid for Alabama that just got there. Mm-hmm. Um, longtime commit uh, out of modern day in California, longtime commit to USC, uh, flipped yep. to Bama smartly. If he wins the job or if Bama's just like, hey, Mac Jones, like we love you, but you got to go. Like just letting you know you're not going to win this job. If, yeah. if Bryce Young comes in and like wins the Heisman as a freshman, that would be bonkers. I'd love to see the odds on that. If that, I mean, I don't know if they can even like put odds on on that for, for a guy that's not even like been on the roster for a game yet. This feels very, uh, who's their quarterback a few years? Jacob Coker. Uh, very sure. Jacob Coker, right? Where he's, he's eventually, he's just a placeholder. Um, and yeah, it, it does feel like it's, it's all trending that way. Um, what, what about like to his brother? Like, I've always kind of wondered, like, how good is he? Is this just like a Giannis, the Nasus situation? I think so. I think that's pretty applicable. He's like, at plus 4,000. I mean, that's just, <laughs> Better that's, odds just than a, Harris. that's just a nod to Alabama <laughs> more than a nod to him, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I don't want to read. There, there are a ton of names, like 50 names available here. Um, but we'll, we'll have to dive into that in, oh, in a future episode because there are, there are some of these long shots that I do kind of like, like Ian Book at plus 5,000. Like, I don't think he's going to win it, but returning third year starter at Notre Dame, yeah, I think Notre better Dame than the plus 5,000. Right. Um, but yeah, that'll, that'll be fun to dive into. Uh, what else do you want to hit on here? It's, it's been a while. So any, any topics that you want to cover? I am more than happy. Um, let's see here. Nothing, nothing much, man. I mean, I, I just think that uh, this has been a fun little project that we've been able to kick back off that, for this season, and uh, I think over the course of the of the off season, maybe we can fire one of these yes. off like once a month or something, and, and you know, do little heat checks on, on some spring practice, some notes, some news and notes coming out uh, from there, and then as we get closer to uh, season kicking off, we'll, we'll get some more good stuff, maybe some some more Heisman discussion. Uh, so that, that's pretty much all I got. I guess the one one thing I wanted to say quick from uh, the outline here, uh, Sam Howell from UNC. Uh, I think I wouldn't be I wouldn't hate his Heisman odds for for next year. I mean, he's a guy that uh, was a freshman All American this past year at, at UNC. He had UNC hang like forty plus points against Temple. Um, I think he's going to have UNC uh, playing in the ACC championship game against Clemson. They're going to get baptized by Clemson, I assume. But I mean, he had them lose by only one point to Clemson earlier this year. So Sam Howell's like my my like dark horse uh, early take that I wanted to just you know get on the record. I like that. He has the 11th highest odds. He's the first name that I didn't read. He's at plus 2,500. So okay. right, right behind Ellinger and Newman. I love it. All right. So I'm in on that. I'm sure that that number, like he might climb that board as we mm-hmm. see, uh, you know, the time elapse here and we get a little bit closer to the 2020 season. All right. Well, looking forward to the game Monday night. Uh, like you said, I think we'll try to fire one of these off, hopefully maybe more frequently than once a month, but okay. you know, we'll be in a little bit of a lull here, but once NFL, <clears throat> once the NFL draft talk starts heating up again, I would love to come on and, and give you some Jags take. Two first round picks this okay, year, as you yes. may recall, and next year as part of the Jalen Ramsey deal. So playing three D chess. Yeah, I've, I haven't been this excited for a draft in a while since since they took Fournette fourth overall. <laughs> <laughs>